Good morning. And just a reminder that next week is daylight savings. Fall back and whatever that entails. Um, congratulations to Lauren Rice, who married Seth Rice, who you all know. Um, just recently, uh, and slightly mixed feelings, because we celebrate Seth and Lauren, but um, uh, this past week, we lost a regular from our 9 o'clock service, um, Dave Kewitt, who uh, his wife Jan and he attend. They're the uh, in-laws of Bruce Lowe, uh, Rachel Lowe's parents. And um, so please, uh, let's keep them uh, in our prayers. Um, but this is the Christian faith, is it not? Rejoicing and sadness mixed together. Uh, the scripture reading <clears throat> comes from Genesis chapter 4. And that's page four in your pew Bibles. Genesis four, page four. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is, your, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden." I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. 
If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. Adah bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah bore Tubal Cain, who was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. And she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we've said earlier, it's with mixed emotions that we gather together as your people, for we have great rejoicing. We rejoice in the institution of marriage. We thank you for Seth and Lauren. We thank you for the way that you have put them together. We pray for them as a couple. Uh, We pray for them as members of this body. But then, Lord, we consider our brother Dave, and we feel sadness, and we're reminded of what we talked last week, that this is not the way things were supposed to be from the beginning. And we recognize death, and we recognize the consequence. But at the same time, Lord, we rejoice because we know a brother who has put his faith and hope and trust in you is now in your presence. And so we rejoice in that good news, but our hearts are still heavy with our own loss. And so we pray for Jan, and we pray for Bruce and Rachel and all the grandchildren, Father, that you would watch over them. And so, Lord, we ask that as we turn to your word this morning, would you be gracious to us in helping to see the truths that come so profoundly from this, your word. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear that we would be your servants, your disciples. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In the 1972 movie, The Godfather, which centered on the life of the Corleone family, the youngest son of Vito Corleone, Michael, 
was not supposed to be in the family business of mafia, of organized crime in New York. Michael served in the military and was destined to do something different from the criminal world of his father. He was supposed to be in a respectable profession, to be a good man. At least this was the hope of his parents and even his own desire at one point. But Michael eventually is drawn into the life of criminality and violence that marked his family. And he becomes even worse than his father in many ways. Now, I use that illustration because it is a small picture of what we see in Genesis 4 as we continue our series on the gospel in Genesis. Now, I am not endorsing the movie. I am not promoting it. So please refrain from writing me letters and emails. Uh, I just happen to find that it is a good illustration of the depth of sin and the family relations uh, that we're about to look at from popular culture. Because you see, Cain was expected to be different from his parents. Cain was supposed to be a, a child of promise. He is the firstborn of creation. He's the first child given to mankind. His parents name him Cain, meaning uh, acquired or possession. A way of perhaps saying, he's here. He's arrived. Why? Some scholars believe that Adam and Eve may have thought that he was the fulfillment of the promise of God to send a seed that would crush the head of the serpent. Cain is a seed of the woman, and Eve says at his birth, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. It's a recognition, I think, of the fact that life does not come from merely the relationship between man and woman, but rather that life comes from God. All life is from God. And then there is another life that enters the first family. A second son, Abel, is born. Now, Abel means breath or a vapor. The purpose behind that name, I'm not sure, but the prophetic warning there is a bit haunting. The, the prophetic word there. Now, the two boys go into two very different vocations. Cain works the land. Uh, even though the land is cursed, remember from last week in Genesis 3, the land is cursed, but even, even so, it still yields fruit, and that is a grace of God. The fact that we are able to get anything from the earth, uh, uh, from a cursed ground, that is a common grace that God has displayed and given to all of humanity. The fact that we're able to farm land and, and, and produce food from it. Now, Abel, on the other hand, uh, goes and he works with animals. He tends sheep. He is a shepherd. And then a day comes when the boys are making a sacrifice to the Lord. Well, why? Why are they doing this? Obviously, the imagery of sacrifice has been given to them by their parents, as was originally given by God. In the taking of the animal, 
and providing its skin to cover the nakedness and the shame of their parents. And so the, the pattern of sacrifice continued. And both boys make their offering as an act of worship. Both give in the form of their vocation. Cain works the field, and so he brings fruit from the ground. Abel works with sheep, and so he brings animal sacrifices. And this is our first point this morning. Cain's sin. Cain's sin. Because here's what happens. Abel's sacrifice is accepted. But Cain's is rejected. Why? Well, if you're looking at the text, you can see that Abel has offered his best. And Cain, not his best. One is an actual sacrifice. The other one does not appear to be very sacrificial. But again, look closely at this text, verse 4. The Lord had regard for Abel and his sacrifice. But for Cain and his sacrifice, he had no regard. Notice that both start with the person and not the sacrifice. It was not just Abel's sacrifice that was accepted, and it was not just Cain's sacrifice that was rejected. It was the person. Why? It is because God sees the sacrifice through the lens of the worshiper. Not the worshiper through the lens of the sacrifice. I have an image to help us clarify what this looks like. Cain's perspective is that the way he's going to be seen by God and understood by God is through his sacrifice. So God will see through the sacrifice to the man. But Abel understands that the way God operates is that he looks at the person, the heart of the person, the condition of the person, and then sees and receives the sacrifice. Does that make sense? I think many of us fall into the trap of having our perspective of worship being that of Cain's perspective. And if anything is going to make the hairs on your neck stand up, it would be a statement like that. Do not view worship the way Cain does. The idea that we throw scraps of some sort towards God because that's what we think he wants or, or, or just to appease him and then, and then to move on with our life. What is your view of God at that point? What are you, what are you trying to convey to him? What, are you, what signals are you sending to him? Instead, consider Abel's view. Because at the end of the day, we want to worship God the way he desires us to worship him. God sees through all of our fluff and our junk. He sees straight through it. Remember, God gives all life. He knows all life. Therefore, he sees straight to the heart of his own creation. And in seeing the heart, he sees the act of worship in whatever form it takes in your life. 
And often one reflects the other. And that's what we're seeing here. The careful, act, uh, uh, the careful sacrifice and act of worship comes from the genuine heart of faith. The careless sacrifice and act of worship comes from the heart that does not seek to please God. That doesn't hold God in high regard, in high esteem. Now at this point, God could have done whatever he pleased with Cain in his unacceptable sacrifice. But what does he do? Does he smite him? No. (laughs) I always find that word interesting, smite. Does he strike him with lightning? Does he, he cast down fire and set him ablaze? No, he is gracious to Cain. He warns him. Look again at the end of verse 5 of chapter 4. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. His reaction to God's rejection was not to fall on his face with confession and repentance, a right response. It was rather anger and a fallen face, a sour face, an upset disgruntled face. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Okay, what does that mean? What is he saying here? It means you know what the right thing is, Cain. You know what acceptable worship looks like. Then the negative warning, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin is personified here as an animal or, or a being that's waiting to pounce on him. Was it was this not what Satan did with Eve in the garden? Is this not a description of Satan himself prowling around like a lion seeking whom he will devour as we read in 1 Peter chapter 5? The enemy of our souls wants nothing more than for sin to take root in your heart. Cain, do not allow anger to consume you and devour you creating further enmity between you and God. Adam, do not allow desire to consume you and devour you, creating enmity between you and God. King David, do not allow lust to consume you and devour you. Apostle Peter, do not allow fear to consume you and devour you. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 4, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and allow the devil an opportunity or a foothold. So how does one do that? How do you prevent that? You do well. You do what is right. What is right is to come before God in repentance and confession. What is right is to remember how God views our acts of worship. He sees us first, not the sacrifice Are our hearts hard? Are our thoughts far from Him? 
Realign yourself with what you know is right, with what you read in the Word. Abandon whatever path you are on and come to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit in a posture of humility and dependence. When Jesus is giving the seven woes to the Pharisees, he tells them that they are those who wash the outside of the cup in the plate, but inside they are full of greed and, and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside also may be clean. It's a generous, gracious warning And Cain repented and confessed his sin, and he was remembered as the seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent. No, I was trying to see if you were awake, and you're not, so. Too many people watching the Braves last night. No, 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 quite the opposite. That would have been wonderful, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that have been great? Restoration back to Eden, the first seed, restoration of humanity, but no, He became Michael Corleone. He became his father, Adam, who also had a chance to confess and repent. And what did he do? He blamed his wife. What does Cain do? He goes out into a field to speak with his brother, perhaps under the auspices of asking about the sacrifice that he made. And there in the field... Cain made his blood offering, not to God, but to himself, and not that of an animal, but of his own brother. Sin was crouching at the door and desired to have him, and Cain, in his faithlessness, was unable to rule over it even after a warning from God. This murder was not because of the hatred of a brother. It was hatred to God for making another who offended him. It was hatred to God for making another that troubled him. It was hatred to God for making another with gifts that he didn't have. And this is our case, too. When we allow anger and hatred and hostility towards another to take root, we are in reality angry with God. David said, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, Of course he sinned against Uriah. Of course he sinned against Bathsheba. But it was first and primarily against God. Let us not forget that our sin is first and primarily against God. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? This is the same as God questioning Adam, where are you? Here, even in this horrific, wicked act, there is a moment of allowing for confession and repentance. Come clean. Don't think you can fool God. And Cain's response, 
I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> Clearly not. A keeper protects. A keeper looks after. You have done the opposite. You have become your brother's taker. You have taken his life from him. The depth of his wickedness to take a life and then shove it in, the, in God's face. And God, being a just God, must further inflict punishment on Cain and his attitude. And yet, even in that, there is still grace offered. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And what is the voice of the blood of Abel crying? Keep a finger in Genesis 4 and flip over to the most extreme chapter of the Bible in terms of opposites and turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. And here the Apostle John is in his vision, sees the Lamb of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's opening the seven seals. And we read in verse 9 of chapter 6, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out in a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. The blood of Abel cries out for judgment and justice. Right? But what does God give? In the meantime, he's giving a punishment. And my, what I would say is, He's trying to give discipline so that the person, if they are a disciple, will be made right, will be restored. Is that fair? Shouldn't Cain's life also be taken since he took a life? But what does God do? He displays mercy, not giving what is deserving, and grace, giving compassion what is undeserved. And so Cain is not killed, but he is cursed. He will be unable to gain any fruit from the land. All of his work will be cursed. And he must be a fugitive, and he must be a wanderer. Here again, another chance to come in confession and repentance, but instead he makes a complaint an indication of where his heart is. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So the murderer is now afraid of being murdered. How ironic. So what does God do? Tell him, tough no more grace, no more mercy, you've had enough. No. Again, then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. 
not only am I not taking immediate adequate vengeance on you, but I will take it out on whoever harms you, thus protecting you. Why does God do this? This is why I never understand the people who say the God of the Old Testament is always smiting people and he's always angry all the time. Really? People treat him like total garbage and he responds with grace and mercy and we say he's mean and nasty. I believe that God protects Cain because he is putting his mercy and his grace on display. He is making it abundantly clear to Cain and all of his community of siblings, which is what they have to be, that are around him, who God is and what his character is. And notice, it is not God whom Cain fears. It is people. He's scared a person will kill him and not God. It's, I mean, it's madness. Do not fear the one who can only take the body. Fear the one, rather, who can take both soul and body. Too often, we think too highly of what people think and too little about what God thinks. When man is big and God is small in your perspective, everything will go wrong in your walk with him. Your relationships, your witness, your fears, and your doubts will be elevated. Okay, this concludes our first point, and the others are just as long as that one. Hmm, that sounded like groaning and not rejoicing. <clears throat> okay, this is Cain's sin. Second, we look at Cain's culture. Notice that part of Cain's curse was to be a wandering nomad and a fugitive. But have a look at verse 16 again. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That doesn't sound like a wandering fugitive to me. That sounds like a settler. And we transition here at this point... Because the introduction, from the, uh, the introduction here in this section starts the exact same way in the beginning of chapter 4. The man knew his wife, in a biblical sense, and she conceived and bore a son. It's the same pattern that happens three times and thus easily makes three points for myself and you. Okay, so Cain has a son, Enoch. And Cain builds a city, a civilization, a culture, because he thinks that the city is what will protect him. Not God, who has promised protection, has even promised vengeance if anyone comes after him, and has even given him a mark. Cain doesn't care. He wants the city to protect him. And what will be the markings, the distinctives of the culture of Cain's city. Will it bear the fruit of the Spirit? Well, let's find out. Well, off the bat, we read these genealogies of names that are super fun to pronounce, and we see that Lamech has two wives. Well, what's wrong with that? 
Bigamy was not the model of marriage that was put forth by God at the beginning. God intended for marriage to be monogamous, one man, one woman. So the culture of Cain casts off God's designs and his institutions. Then we read more about Lamech. It just keeps getting better. He sings a song or writes a poem to his two wives. And in this poem, he's boasting about his murdering a man for wounding him or striking him. Violence and vengeance rule the day and the culture. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So Lamech understands the curse of God placed on Cain. He even knows the degree by which the punishment uh, will be inflicted in the divine decree. He's generations removed, but he knows the exact number and the degree and everyone involved. And yet, he has no regard for God. He says, If you think God's justice was tough, wait until you have felt mine. Except vengeance is not for man to take. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And Lamex is totally out of proportion. 77 times? That's ridiculous. But do you see here how far we have come? Cain enters the world. There's rejoicing and anticipation that they now have the seed of the woman to regain Eden. But instead, the decline and the steep decline of man is awful. Cain did not bring peace. He brought heartache. He brought death, and he brought violence, proving that not only was he the seed of the woman, not only was he not the seed of the woman, he is actually the seed of the serpent. And he killed a seed of the woman who honored God, who was faithful, a depiction that we will see frequently in Scripture, again, as the curse was leveled Against the seed of the serpent and the seed of the man, they will be at odds with one another. Cain's sin, Cain's culture, and I think we've had enough bad news, so we're going to wrap up with redemption continued. Redemption continued. Because this is looking fairly bleak, and you're probably feeling very sad, because this is a, a, a quite a hopeless chapter for much of it. And you may ask, I thought you called this series the gospel in Genesis. Well, where is our good news? And so we read in verses 25 and 26, again, the same introduction as we had for the two previous points. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The line of the seed 
is preserved. It continues. Though it looked like evil had taken the upper hand, God preserves for himself a line of followers. It would look uh, uh, another day, thousands of years later, it would look again as if evil had triumphed over good through the death of the seed, the ultimate seed. But you see, that would be the striking of the heel in the prophecy that we read in chapter 3. The suffering that had to take place in order that the wrath, the rightful wrath that was deserved for mankind, for the sin of Adam, the sin of Cain, would be absorbed by the seed of the woman in Jesus Christ. And that he would then crush the serpent's head in victory for his people. So that we are no longer bound by Cain's sin. What do I mean by that? Look at Hebrews chapter 12. I'll keep you moving through your Bibles here. Hebrews chapter 12, where the author is describing what believers have come to. They've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And we read in Hebrews 12, verse 24. Pay attention to this. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is the better word? The word of the blood of Abel cries out, as we said before, it cries out for vengeance, judgment, justice. But the better word from the blood of Christ calls out forgiveness for the children of God. Because he was the perfect sacrifice once and for all, and he laid down his life willingly. Unlike Abel, whose life was taken unwillingly. Sin equals death and vengeance. Christ equals life and forgiveness. That deals with the sin of Cain, but what about the culture of Cain? Once again, we'll jump again. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 22. Matthew chapter 18. Where the issue of forgiveness has been raised by the disciples. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Peter's quite proud of this answer. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Do you see that? That is a direct link to the words of Lamech from Genesis 4, thousands of years later, that his vengeance would not be seven times as God said the the person who kills Cain's would be, but 77. And Jesus says, what this fallen world is looking for is vengeance and violence. And they say, vengeance 77 times over. What I say to you, disciple, 
is whatever length the world desires to go in one direction with wickedness and hatred, you go the opposite with forgiveness. Why? Because you, chosen people of God, you who are in Christ, you have been given, you have been forgiven an immeasurable, unpayable debt. Therefore, you now have the resources to forgive the by comparison small debt that a person who may have wronged you owes you. The sin of Cain goes unconfessed and unrepented of. The culture of Cain dives deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. The blood of Christ calls on all to repent and confess, receiving a better word than the blood of Abel, receiving, in fact, what Cain should have longed for all along, which was forgiveness. And that forgiveness now flowing through us, can be dispersed to those who wrong us. Because we have been forgiven by the blood of the seed of the woman that was prophesied from the beginning. Cain arrived to great anticipation and and great fanfare, and he was a total disaster. Christ arrived without a place to lay his his head. And he is the rescuer that we need. Let's pray. Father, the line seems so clear. The line between the human representation of wickedness and fallenness through Cain, the first murderer, and Christ, the true seed, who would allow himself to be murdered in order to forgive. And Father, in our flesh and in our nature we can feel it we desire vengeance at every corner if we've been wronged we want to take it out we want we want that equal justice paid out and we want to see it now and yet this is not what you have called us to you have asked us to trust in you You've asked us to have a right perspective on worship the way Abel did. You've asked us to trust you in understanding the debt that has been paid for us because we are also in the line of Cain and Adam. But in handing our lives over to you, we submit to the better Adam, the true Israelite, Jesus Christ. And in that... He gives us the ability and the strength 
to love you with our whole heart, mind, strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so no longer do we have to chase after violence and vengeance, which the world will devour itself over. But we can instead choose love and forgiveness. That these would be the things that mark us. Oh, Father, may it be. For we pray this in Christ's name.